Well, hi, everyone. It's good to be back. I'll tell you about my holiday in a minute. But, um, kids, I'm going to give these little sheets to Rod. And if you like to, you could go and sit with mum and dad, or pretty close to mum and dad, and then you can start these. At the back are um, the pencils and all that. So, kids, go and get pencils now. See Rod for a sheet, and that'll keep you busy for a while. Or you could just listen to me, and that'll be riveting as well. I can see no one's going to do that. Oh, there's a few kids doing that. Go the girls over here. Always good at listening to sermons. Um, hey, why don't, while they're doing that, well, the kids might be interested in this as well. Let me tell you about what I did the last couple of weeks. So this is, um, this is the wedding spot that I did. So that's Rakesh and Krista. Uh, Rakesh is the, um, his name's Thomas as well, and only our mothers could tell us apart. Um, he's, he's Indian. Anyway, I thought it was funny. Um, so he... Yeah, we, uh, we mar- got them, they got married at uh, Lake Tahoe and then Wes and I spent another few days in Lake Tahoe. Um, it's great to do that wedding. Uh, Rakesh I had a lot to do with back in Dubai and read the Bible with him, prayed with him, had a great time. Um, this is a photo in the, of the same spot when the sun went down a bit. It's spectacularly beautiful. Uh, bit of a privilege to go there. And this is me. There's a monkey there somewhere. Um, see that, that rock's called Monkey Rock. Isn't that cool? So, yeah, the one in the blue. Yeah, not the one in the blue. Um, so we had this fantastic mountain bike ride, and uh, basically on a cliff edge around Lake Tahoe, and that was great. Where's Wes and I did that? We stayed alive. We didn't fall off. If we did fall off, we wouldn't be here, would we? Really? Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, uh, there's more photos if you'd like. And then this is um, at Yosemite National Park. We went there as well, and uh, just a beautiful spot. Uh, we did some hiking there, and it was good fun. So that's what I've been doing, a uh, bit of holidaying. But uh, <laughs> the hire car that we got was a four-cylinder uh, Nissan something or other. So <laughs> it, was, it got us from A to B and it worked. So that was good. Anyway, um, big thank you to Paul and Matt. Uh, obviously, aren't here today, but they were preaching for me the last two weeks and um, heard good things. I listened to Matt's sermon. I haven't got around to listen to Paul's yet, um, but uh, it's a great privilege for those guys to teach us God's word. Today, actually, one more thing while, I'm, while I've, I've got you here. Um, I read this little book. Ruth recommended this to me. I read this on the plane. Can I now recommend it? Ruth's going to recommend it, and I'm going to recommend it. Um, just a great... If you feel life's a bit out of control and you're a bit busy, um, that's just a great little book. So I read it. It wasn't... I like it because it was short, and it's got big font. There's no, there's no diagrams, but anyway. Um, but I read it on the plane. Really good book. Uh, so if you want to have a look at it, I'm going to give it back to Ruth, but it's Ruth's book. But um, if you want to get it, I really recommend it. Okay, that's all the plugs for the moment. Let's uh, grab your Bibles. Well, actually, today we'll be jumping around a fair bit. Most of the text will be up on the screen. So you can try to keep up with me, but that's going to be pretty difficult. Um, normally you would just have one passage in front of you. But have your outline in front of you. That will be really helpful. And you can jot some things down. We're going to have a question and answer time or question and attempted answer time at the end. Um, so bear that in mind. You might want to write a question down or two and then ask that towards the end. How about I pray and uh, then we'll get stuck in. Father, thank you for uh, your goodness and kindness to us. Thank you, Lord, that you've gathered gathered us together in the gospel uh, by your word. And this is just, it's significant. It's so significant that we can be together and know, Lord Jesus, that you are with us. So, Lord, thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, this is uh, our final week of the spiritual constants 
series. So we've been looking at these, these constants, that is, things that should be constant in our lives. They're regular, they're, they're like a, a habit, they just tick over, you know, like a metronome. It's ticking over in our lives, week in, week out. They're things that we ought to um, have as uh, day in, day out, week in, week out, part of our life. So we looked at church a few weeks ago. Uh, we looked at reading the Bible uh, and we looked at prayer. Now today, singing. Now I wonder if that comes as a bit of a surprise to you, that when we talk about spiritual constants in our lives, singing is listed among them. Does this mean we should break into song whenever there's a pause in conversation? I'm going to leave that up to you. Maybe. Might mean that. Maybe we'll have some odd conversations at morning tea today. Uh, I don't think so, though. You see, our focus today, we're talking about spiritual constants, is corporate singing. Singing together as the people of God. So when we gather together uh, as Christians gathering together in the name of Jesus, corporate singing, in fact, has always been part of the experience of God's people. And we'll see why in a moment. Uh, there's ample biblical evidence in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that tells us that singing and music, in fact, was part of normal Christian activity as we gathered together. Now, one more book plug. This one's a bit of a bigger book and has, well, it does have some big pictures, but unfortunately, uh, it's a bit bigger. But anyway, there you go. This is an excellent book, Song for the Saints, and it's about singing and, and so forth in, in music in church. Written by a guy called Mark, Mike Rater. Mike Rater is our speaker at the upcoming Southern Highlands Men's Convention. Great speaker, great writer, and Rob Smith. Now, Rob Smith spoke at our church just last year, and he's Spoke also at our open mic night, and he's a, a great musician, and we sing some of his songs in church. Anyway, those two list eight reasons why we Christians ought to sing. So, I think I've got them, um, let's have a look here, I've got them up there, there they are. So, the first one is God sings, Zephaniah 3.17, God sings, look that up later on if you like. Second, singing is natural, it's a natural thing that we can do, we're actually made to sing. And third, singing is healthy, psychologically, physiologically, it's a healthy thing for us to do. It aids memory. How many of us remember scripture because of a song we learnt many years ago, if you're a Christian? Um, if you grew up, uh, or if your kids have grown up with Colin Buchanan, we've got a lot to be thankful for because of the words we remember from his songs. Uh, it teaches one of the things that I wanted us to remember today was that memory verse, or that verse, 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died for sins once and for all, and so we sing about it. Uh, it creates a world. In other words, as Christians meeting together, we're citizens of heaven. And as a world it creates in unity, that's sort of the next point too, singing is communal, uh, and it's commanded. I'm pleased that Rod read out Psalm 96, because Psalm 96 says, Sing unto the Lord a new song. It's a command. We ought to sing as Christians gathering together. It's a good thing. Here's, um, here's John Piper. He's an American author and pastor, preacher. He says, The reality of God and Christ and creation and salvation and heaven and hell are simply too great for mere speaking. They must be sung. What a great quote. I love it anyway. They must be sung. It's just too good not to just, just speak. Uh, singing has always been and always will be a natural human response to the goodness of God. So today's focus is not so much on why we sing as we gather together. Instead, it's really how we sing 
and the function of seeing. And I'm not talking about using my falsetto in church or anything like that. Uh, singing, just how we do it. Anyway, so you can see in your outline there, that's the first point, the culture clash. Before we get into all that, we ought to, uh, we ought to consider something that's really in our lives, and that is this great challenge for Christians as we sing together or play music together in church is what we might call the culture clash. It's the cultural conflict between music as performance and music as service. So this is a little bit how it plays out, okay? Part of every musician's training is, is how to perform, how to attract attention, how to sustain it, and how to differentiate yourself from other musicians. That's just what we're trained to do. But a Christian is to serve as we gather together. Remember week one, a few weeks back. It's the heart of church. And this involves humility, and it often involves being inconspicuous. So the very things that might enhance music as performance can diminish its value as service. Do you see that? Now, we could look at it the other way as well. Being an effective servant may mean making your music less impressive. So you might hold back on searching guitar lead solos, um, for example. The culture of service as we gather together means a Christian musician, for example, serving in the church, points people to Jesus. That's one of their roles. They point people to Jesus. They're like John the Baptist, uh, John 3.30. He must become greater, speaking of Jesus, I must become less. That's the role of a Christian musician. Now, do you see that clash of cultures? You're sort of feeling that a little bit. Let me try to illustrate that a bit more. Sometime back, um, uh, I was in Perth, uh, just about prepared to watch a Wallabies rugby match versus the Springboks. Uh, it was almost time for the anthems, but I was stuck downstairs. This is Subiaco Oval, the worst place to watch any sporting activity in the history of the world. Um, I was stuck downstairs uh, in the heart of the grandstand waiting for food with about 20 or 30 others and there was, of course, one person serving for the whole grandstand. Anyway, um, so there was I waiting and, and with 20 or 30 other, other blokes and together we were getting a bit stressed that we were going to miss the national anthem. And we didn't want, you don't want to miss the national anthem. No one wants to miss the national anthem. You want to be there to sing it out. Uh, so when the, the familiar introduction began to Advance Australia Fair, well, our hearts sunk a little. <laughs> we, but then one man began to sing, and then another. And before you could say Waltz and Matilda, uh, <laughs> we were all belting out our national song. And it was magnificent. It was fantastic. It echoed around the cement uh, rooms under the grandstand. It was unifying. It was uplifting. It was encouraging. Loved it. Singing together in one accord, uh, just how Aussies like the national anthem being done. I think I'm right there. Now, let's compare that for a minute as we think about service-first service performance culture in music. Let's think about American culture. Now, I'm not making a comparison what, which is better or anything like that. See, American culture is very different and exemplifies this music as performance culture. So, uh, admittedly, I was thinking about this sermon in mind when I spoke to an American friend last week in California, um, but I asked him about uh, the, the anthem, the singing of the national anthem, uh, the US national anthem. 
And he said, well, it's really all about the performance of the singer. You're not meant to sing along. It's not even designed that way. You're not meant to do that. You can't sing along. There's so many vocal gymnastics, you wouldn't have a clue what to do anyway. The singer is the focus. Not the voices or the people. The focus is on the performer. Now, as we compare the singing of the Australian and American national anthems, we're confronted with this cultural clash. Likewise, when we think about singing in church, we're confronted with this cultural clash. Is singing about performance or service? And what we want to say, the Bible says, it's about service, serving one another. Now, because our church culture is defined by service, remember that was week one of this series, if we were to make music the defining feature or criteria in which we evaluate a service, we would miss the point of the gathering and would miss the point of singing in church because singing in church is about unifying us, encouraging us, building each other up, uh, praising God, pointing to the gospel, giving thanks to him. I wonder how many times as we've walked away from church or maybe a conference that all we could comment on was the music. I have been there numerous times. <laughs> uh, very much so. Perhaps at that point, church culture has been swallowed up in the worldly culture of performance. Maybe. Christians must be careful not to submit to the conventions of any pagan culture. Our thinking must be transformed by the gospel, renewing our minds so that we're no longer conformed to the pattern of the prevailing culture we live in, uh, whether that's music or anything else. Now, our concern today is to understand and appreciate the function of music and singing when we do gather together for church. And the key to this is understanding the nature and purpose of church. And I think as we do this, we'll see how important singing is, and not only why we must sing, but how we must sing. Okay, so we're looking at point two in outline, um, why we meet, the nature and purpose of church. Now that's something that we can easily lose sight of, isn't it? Why are we here? Why have we come together? See, normally when a group of people get together, the reasons for doing so determine the group's nature and function. So people gather in a movie theatre to do what? To dance? No, no, no. They, they gather together to watch a movie, don't they? That's what they're doing. Um, they gather at a bus stop to catch a bus. Uh, they go on a rugby field to kill each other. Uh, that's it. I've, I had to put this up. What do people say about rugby? Uh, Two of the world, meet good people and smash them. That's, that's rugby. So anyway, um, I was there watching Where's Yesterday, having a great time. Unfortunately, I'm injured and old. Um, so what we need to do is we need to ask then, what type of gathering is church? Uh, the fact is, we can do many of our church activities, prayer, learning, reading the Bible. We can do many of our church activities just as well, if not better, alone. Uh, the reasons Christians gathering together is not obvious until we understand the nature of the God who gathers us. So let's do that for a minute. God is a gathering God. The Bible's teaching about why believers meet together is rooted deeply within the nature of God's activity in the world. Now, the nation of Israel knew God as a gatherer. So the Exodus, let's think back there for a minute, is remembered as the foundational event where God 
brought the nation of Israel together from Egypt, gathered them at Mount Sinai on the day of assembly to hear his words of instruction. Uh, Exodus 19. And in the promised land, the, the temple or the tabernacle became the symbol of God's presence where God's people would continue to gather together. But the Old Testament, we know, of course, is also a record of Israel's disobedience and subsequent judgment of God. And so what happens in God's judgment, God scatters the people. He scatters the Israelites. So Jeremiah chapter 9, for example, you can see your notes. I've given you lots of references to look up later on. But nevertheless, the, the prophets announced that God had not finished with Israel. He would gather them yet again. And Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 27, the gospel then fulfills these prophecies. And so Jesus' ministry is described like this. We can see it up there with John 11. He prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and to make them one. So it's no surprise then, as we continue to read our New Testaments, of the church being described as the body, a building to gathered together, the family, a people gathered together in Jesus. So the gospel of the gathering God then provides us, for us a foundation for understanding why Christians meet together. Secondly, we want to say too, and in Hebrews 12, is that God describes the consequences of this gathering work. The writer describes an event which we do not see today and yet is happening. As the gospel is at work in the world and God gathering himself a people, a family is created now in heaven, gathered before the Father, the Christian church gathered in heaven. And third, by the Spirit of God, what is true of this heavenly gathering is also true of the earthly one. God is with us. So, uh, Matthew 18, verse 20, For when two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So a big therefore, the heavenly presence of the church before Christ has consequences for us today as we meet together. And some of those consequences are, for example, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Don't stop coming. But, do, but all the more encourage each other as we see the heavenly reality, as that heavenly reality, us gathered with Jesus, comes closer and closer to us. Or Ephesians 4 uh, explains uh, church in more practical detail, but the purpose of the earthly gathering can be summarised in the image of unity from uh, 4 verse 16. Uh, if, uh, Ephesians 4 16 says, For him, that's Christ, the whole body, the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now there's a lot there. But do you, see the concept, do you see the significance of this gathering? That God has drawn us together, has gathered us together in the gospel. And that is a, that is a picture of what's going on now in heaven. And as we, as we gather together, we know that Jesus is with us by his spirit. That makes what we do incredibly significant. Incredibly significant. A church is the people God has in a particular place 
gathered to himself by the gospel of Christ. So it cannot be made more or less significant by the building, as comfortable and warm as it is. It cannot be made more or less significant by the size of the gathering. It cannot be made more or less significant by its formality, its time or day, or its music. So, our understanding of why we meet uh, together will then shape the activities like singing that we do, which take place in the church and the manner in which they're carried out. So think about, go back to Mount Sinai for a minute. When God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments, he's gathered them together on the day of assembly. They understood that they were in the presence of God and this affected their priorities, did it not? They had gathered, God had gathered them together. They didn't give two hoots about what type of trumpet music was being played. That they, or, or if they were singing enough hymns. Um, they, they didn't care. Since God was in their midst, what mattered more than anything else was to listen to what God said. Now, the earliest Christian meetings followed that pattern. Acts 2 verse 42, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then Colossians 3.17, let the message of Christ or the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So hearing the word of God remains the fundamental important activity when Christians meet together or gather in the presence of Christ. It's by his word that he's called us together. If we do nothing else as we meet together, we must hear the word of God from the scriptures. That's the first, uh, I've called it dimension um, of any Christian meeting. It's really the bare essentials of Christian meetings and they follow from the purposes of church that we've looked at a few moments ago. The second is our response to the word of God. How do we respond to the word of God? Well, in trust and obedience, but we respond in prayer. Now, Paul talked about this last week, so we won't spend a lot of time here. But in dependence of God, churches are repeatedly exhorted to pray. Third dimension uh, to church is love. We meet as Christians because God has called us to himself. He has accepted each of us and brought us into his presence. We are therefore bound to accept one another. So regardless of age or gender or what's going on in our lives or what clothes we wear, we accept one another because Jesus has accepted us. We love one another because Jesus has loved us irrespective of what we're like. By the gospel, you see, those barriers are broken down. Christians loving one another expresses the power of the gospel. So there's those three dimensions of church which, which really uh, work themselves out on the back of that question of why we meet. The word of God, prayer, loving each other. Why we meet? We meet because of the gathering God who's gathered, uh, gathered us uh, in heaven, here, the presence of Christ with us. And so as we consider the role of music and singing, and we think that through, and any other church activities, any thoughts ought to take place in the context of those three dimensions or essentials of church. So, is our singing loving? Think about that for a minute. Is it serving, in other words? See, we don't just sing to God. That, we could call it that the vertical praise to God. I'll get to praise in a moment. But we also sing to each other. <laughs> we sing to each other. We sing to love. 
we sing to serve one another and encourage one another. Uh, We all know how good it is when we hear people singing and encouraging one another. Uh, That is a good experience given by God. So is our singing loving? And, And then it doesn't really matter how well you sing, does it, really? Of course it doesn't. I remember seeing um, uh, Bible college and I think the worst voice I've ever heard, and I've heard some bad voices, the worst her- voice I've ever heard was my friend Mike. And, um, but he would sing at the top of his voice and I just found it so encouraging. He wouldn't sing in tune, he was out of time, it was just appalling. <laughs> but it didn't matter. I was encouraged because we sung together the words of God together. Um, I didn't care if we were in, in tune or out of tune. Uh, it didn't matter. So is our singing loving? Uh, Is it prayerful? Is it based on the word of God? The words we sing are very, very important. They're more important than the tunes. Well, that's really nice to have a good tune too, isn't it? Um, But that's what's more important, the word of God. So we choose our songs very carefully and what songs, what words we sing, we choose them very carefully. Now, before we apply this a little bit more, I want to make a quick comment about two words often misused in Christian gatherings when it comes to singing. Uh, Praise and worship. So, uh, a word about praise and worship. In many Christian churches, uh, Christians describe the time of singing, or even the service itself, more generally, as a time of praise or a time of worship. Many churches have a worship team, and really all they're referring to, of course, is the band. Uh, And there's no shortage of songs um, that sing about a time of worship, uh, a Heart of Worship, one of my favourite songs actually from years back. It was a Matt Redman song called, a, I think it's called A Heart of Worship. And it tries very hard to get us back to singing um, with a heart of worship to God. Um, it's, it's not a bad song. But what does the Bible really mean by praise and worship? Well, probably the most obvious place to explore is the Psalms. We won't do this for too long, but a couple of minutes. Uh, and we read Isaiah 12 before too which reads much like a psalm, and like the psalms is a good example of what the Bible means by praise. That is, that in almost every psalm, throwing Isaiah 12 and other passages as well, praise is declaring what God is like and what he has done. Praise is declaring what God is like and what he's done. Now remember, the psalms come to us with no music. Hey, they could have been heavy metal rock, rock music. Who knows? They could have all been raps. I don't think so. But um, who knows what they sounded like? They come to us with... The, it's the words that matter, isn't it? It's the word that matters. So praise is declaring what God is like and what he's done. Now, in the New Testament, that concept of praise keeps going. Uh, what God is like and what he's done. Ephesians 1. Read that later on if you like. Uh, but let's look at Hebrews 13. Uh, 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and share with others, for such sacrifices God is pleased. Do you see that? God is praised when we acknowledge him and do good in the world. There's our definition of praise. And 1 Peter 2 verse 9 uh, I've got the Romans 12 there. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, uh, where the saved people of God, holy nation, uh, people belonging to God, a royal priesthood, the saved people of God, what do they do? They declare the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
So declaring the gospel, whether we do it in song or we do it in preaching or quietly over a cup of coffee with a friend at the cafe um, or in an email, a Facebook message, whatever, declaring the gospel is our praise to God. Now, worship is much the same. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that our whole lives are a spiritual act of worship and not conforming to the pattern of this world. So praise or worship in the Bible is not just limited to singing or, or music or to church, for that matter. It's our whole lives as we declare what God is like and what he's done and we do good in the world. Now, one last point. I guess applying things a bit further as we think about the function of singing in church together. Music has great power over human beings and that power should not be confused with spiritual experience. Uh, In some circles, music has become the barometer of spiritual authenticity. So the more you're affected by the praise, the more you are in tune with God. But that's not really what the Bible says. It's unbiblical thinking. The word of God, prayer and love for one another are the spiritual content of a Christian meeting. None of these three dimensions is made more valuable by music, although each can be well expressed in music. Music needs to be made less mystical and appreciated for what it is, a good and enjoyable, useful gift of God. Music can be an appropriate way of expressing emotions just like shouting or laughing. But it should be an expression of the emotions aroused in a believer by the gospel, not the music. You see the difference? So although feelings and a heartfelt response to God, Ephesians 5, that's important, and often music will arouse such emotions, does with me, I don't know about you, but the source of those emotions must be what we know. That is the gospel. That is the word of God. So let's keep um, constant in our lives as we gather together, singing that serves, singing that dwells in the word of Christ. And let's do it with a heartfelt response to the goodness of God's gospel. How about I pray? And then, um, yeah, if we've got a question or a comment, we can ask away. Father, thank you for the gift of music and singing. Lord, as we meet together, uh, may it be a constant in our lives that points us back to you, Lord Jesus, that help us, helps us to dwell on the word, your word, Lord God, and Lord, that, that's an encouragement uh, that lifts us up, that unifies us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.